Well, good morning. That was a silent movie about making sure you invited people for Easter. <laughs> Did you get it? There you go. So the uh, idea is that only 18% of people go to a church on a regular or on any particular given Sunday. And yet the majority of people who do show up at a church, uh, especially for Easter, are by invitation. And so we do encourage you to invite those who may be in your circle of influence, whether they be a co-worker, whether they be an extended family member, whether they be a neighbor, or you can go out and invite strangers. And so when Pastor Zach mentions about getting a, uh, an invite card on the way out, please do that. We are T-minus, what is it, one, two, three weeks away from Easter. And uh, Easter is a natural invite for you. Um, a lot of times we do feel awkward. We're concerned they're going to feel awkward. And for us just to take the initiative, you never know what one simple ask will do in bringing transformation and change in someone's life. And so just uh, as your pastor, I want to encourage you, you know, we're at a size of a church where you can, hey, you can do a lot of the billboard and uh, advertisements, send stuff on social media. But the reality is a lot of times if you do a lot of the mass marketing for something like Easter, you get people that might show up from that mass marketing, but they don't have that connection point. And we have to work at building that connection point. But if you invite them, you already have a connection point. In fact, many of you are here this morning because somebody invited you you to come to be a part not only of church, but church exposes us to the beautiful transformational message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with him. And some people are only one ask away. Now, some people are like 10, 20 ask away. I understand that. So don't feel bad if they say, no, I'm not, that's not for me, that kind of deal. But let's pray about it. Let's have people uh, open our heart for God to burden us, uh, to ask people um, that maybe are in our network or maybe someone you're coming across because we are in a world that is in desperate need of people to come alive in God as we sang about this morning. And for us as a church called the Awakening Church, we do. We want people awakening people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. I am uh, glad to be able to share with you again this morning. We're going to walk into uh, what we have for us, but I'm very mindful that there's things that go on in our body from week to week. And uh, I know that there has been uh, some highs and some lows. Uh, I wish that time always afforded every week to just sort of do the open mic and to share one with another. Uh, but as we do even that little bit of a turn and greet, we're cultivating a, a fresh sense of renewed community on Sunday morning. Connect with people before, after. You never know what their high or their low might have been for the week. In fact, I, I see Sarah Walston sitting here in the back row today. Our love goes to you, Sarah. She lost her husband, Gene, who would be normally sitting with her on a Sunday like this, and our hearts go to you, um, Sarah, for that. And uh, Gene's memorial will be at um, the Myanmar National Cemetery on April the 21st, if you want to talk to Sarah afterwards with that. I'm also mindful as I look around, Rick over here lost a stepmother this week and has been consoling and encouraging uh, his dad on that journey, and there was also another relative that passed away. Uh, I got Dwayne back here, and the journey Dwayne's been on, and he lost his father two weeks ago, 
And, uh, you know, when I look out, and some of you know one another, you know what's going on in each other's lives, but there are needs for us to be the community of Christ and to love one another and to be able to encourage one another, to champion each other. And I want to just ask you to continue just being the body of Christ as you were called to be. And you could have chose to stay home today. That, if you're watching from online, that's cool. I'm glad you're online today. You know, you could have come, but that kind of deal. Maybe not if you're walking, watching from afar. But, you know, why do we come to church? We come to church. We worship the Lord. We come to hear from His Word. But a big part of that is for us just to come together to be family and encourage one another. So there's always the three meetings. You've heard me say them before. As we head towards Easter, we'll be focusing on each of those three. There's the meeting before the meeting, the meeting, and the meeting after the meeting. And sometimes the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting are far more valuable and encouraging to people's lives than what happens up here that you end up being a part of on a Sunday. Next week, you have the opportunity to hear someone other than me up front, though, and that's good because I've been on a run. So second week of spring break. I still don't understand why they give two weeks of spring break. But uh, Melissa and I and Grace and uh, Levi, we're going to slip away uh, across the border and spend a little bit of time at a, a resort along the ocean and just sort of disconnect, get our batteries recharged in Cabo. I, I, came, to Indiana, I mean, came from Indianapolis area, and they always said about Cabo out here. And I'm like, where in the world's Cabo? What's Cabo? So we get to go experience Cabo. Normally when you're in the Midwest, you just go south to Florida. So we're slipping away next week. I'll be joining everybody here online most likely, but there is going to be a gentleman here speaking next week that you don't want to miss. His name is Dr. Norman Hall, and uh, Dr. Hall is president of Simpson University. We are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is a missional movement, a deeper life Christian movement, and uh, there are four alliance schools that we are connected with, and uh, this is one of those. And so Simpson University is in Redding, California, and it was uh, on the list for our daughter to check out, and I actually got further north I've never been really in Northern California, never been in Northern California, had we? We got to Reading this week uh, on Monday to visit Simpson University in the campus, and uh, so that was a great experience, a little bit more like Midwest to me up there. That wasn't bad, but uh, Dr. Hall has been doing a phenomenal job and really uh, turning around one of our universities and getting it to the next level. And he is in town next week. I hate that I'm not here to have him in person, but we've interacted, we've dialogued, uh, and he is excited to come and be able to bring God's heart uh, for the message that he's going to bring to us and a challenge for us as a church family to be able to serve the purposes of God in this kingdom in his kingdom. So please come next week to hear Dr. Hall. I'll be joining you online. And those are some of the things I just wanted to share with you in person before I stepped into God's word today. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning has already been prayed. We ask that you would open up our hearts to hear from you. As we step back into this letter that Peter wrote to believers 2,000 years ago, May this letter be alive in our midst this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. So, we are in this series in 1 Peter. The series in 1 Peter uh, is entitled, Unshakable, Hope in Uncertain Times. Peter was a letter written to Christians in uh, the area of Turkey at that time, and uh, was referred to as Asia Minor, and they were... Um, 
expats, if you will, they were dispersed. They were as part of a uh, movement of Christ followers in those early years in 64 AD, but they were under immense type of persecution. This letter that we've been walking through is great biblical encouragement for us as Christians. And if you've never crossed the line of faith and become a Jesus follower, then it's a great instructional letter to you about what that life is like. And so he starts out in the first part of uh, this letter and says that we were born anew into a living hope. And so there is the need to be born again, being born into a spiritually awakened state because we're flatlined before. And that spiritually awakened state, if you've crossed that line of faith in your personal life, it means that you now have not just a little bit of hope or opportunity to hang around and wish this or wish that. No, you have a living hope which is assured for you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be unpacking that more as we head towards Easter and celebrate it. Last week in this letter, we looked at really what has become one of the fonder passages in this letter to me. And that has to do with 1 Peter 2.9. And he said this, but you... And Jennifer gave reference to it in worship this morning as we were worshiping, but you are. In other words, there is an identity here going on with you. You may think that you are whatever your career position is or your family position is in life, or maybe you don't think very highly of yourself this morning, but if you're a Jesus follower, Peter's saying to you, you are a part of something big. This is your identity. You are a chosen people. God's picked you. And not just you, but others who are Christ followers through all the generations. And he has chosen a people to be his very own, eager to do what is good, another place in Scripture says. But you are, fill in the blank, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, which means there's a kingly nature to you. You don't might feel like you're a kingly or a queenly kind of person this morning, but you have royalty in you because you are following the King of kings and the Lord of lords of all the universe. And you are part of a priesthood. You don't come in today to come in and check with the priest. You, as a believer in Jesus, are able to go straight to God, commune with Him, talk with Him, pray to Him, worship Him. And you are able to minister out of that priesthood to other people. So you are, fill in the blank, four things, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Where's our identity at as it relates to sort of citizenship? All right, It's in this new nation, this new kingdom that God is building through all time and will be for all eternity. And then you are God's special possession. You are endeared to him. So when you take the blanks, you are one, two, three, four things that you may do something. This is your new identity that you may declare the praises of God. You're going to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light, this living hope. You may have gone through a very challenging couple, three weeks related to your identity. Who am I? Come back, reestablish on a regular, weekly, daily basis your identity as seen through God's lens. You are a part of a movement. You are a part of a family. You are a part of a powerful priesthood opportunity to do something amazing in this world. 
And it's not because of what you've done or haven't done. Your identity is established because you have been born into a living hope. And Satan will try to wreck your life every week and keep you from this identity. And some of you just need to park right there on 1 Peter 2.9 this morning. Oh, that's who I am. Then you have a responsibility. That responsibility is declare forth His praises as one who's brought you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And as it says in that next verse, once you were not a people, just scattered strangers, but now you are. You're a part of the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, but now you have received mercy. So that brings us up to where we're going to step into this letter today. Um, do, um, I mean, you can admit it. Do you ever like to be a little bit of a show-off? You know what I'm saying? I used to show off. Or are you ever annoyed by people who are show-offs, right? You know, sometimes I have, a, you know, where our house sits, there's a Washington Road over here in French Valley, and some people think that's a drag strip. And uh, so it's three lanes, it's wide open, let's get at it. And it roars up the hillside and comes into uh, my little backyard, right? And I'm like, who do they think they are? Now, I will have to admit, though, this week I had a little bit of a challenge being a show-off because when we went to Redding, California, we rented the car. You walk up to the counter, you get the car, and they say, hey, we've given you an upgrade to a Dodge Charger. I go, really? Really? Thank you very much. I open the hood, a 5.7 V8 engine in this thing. I'm like, I, it's been a long time since I've driven a V8. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a campus visit. I can't really be doing that, right? You know, you get down out on the road. Man, that has some pickup to it, right? Let's get going. My daughter's pretty excited about it, too, with me. My wife's just going, rolling her eyes. Oh, my gosh. And so I'm like, hey. And I thought of all those people that do the dragging down by the road for me. It's like, I'm not in my car, right? I got to enjoy it for a couple, uh, what was a one-day trip up and back, that kind of deal. But I I just want to know, do you like to be a show-off? And maybe it's not a show-off with a car. Maybe it's, you know, sometimes I, I get uh, into sporting events, but I just need to do it more often. But it's like, it's like individuals need to prove their stuff that they're still young. And I'm like, okay, you, you just come reeking into, wrecking into the lane here and bumping us all around. It's like, you show off what, what you can do, right? Or maybe it's some other kinds of ways that people are show-off, maybe vocationally in the workplace, or maybe it's, it's some other kind of entertainment world that you're a part of. And, and, and you got mixed emotions about show-offs. Let me ask you, do you like to be a show-off? I'm actually going to give you permission to be a show-off today. Because that's the passage that we're looking at. Now, you got to understand, it's the Bible, right? It's God's kingdom, so it's going to be an appropriate measure with humility and that kind of thing. But what Peter is exhorting them to, as they are in this culture that they're a part of, that they need to show off, but they need to show off the beauty of God. Doesn't matter what your life situation is. 
you're in a high or a low, this week you have the opportunity to show the beauty of God to a world that needs to see Him in the midst of our darkness and a world that needs to experience Him transformationally of being made alive in Christ and being born anew into a living hope. And so he doesn't write to these Christians in a very difficult cultural environment where even some of them feared for their very life to just sort of bunker in, persevere, you're going to make it through. He tells them to stand up and to stand out with all the beauty and the glory of God because our world needs that kind of show-off. There's another passage of Scripture in one of the epistles. It won't go there, but it says that we are like shining stars standing out in a universe, in a broken and difficult world. And you and I should not bunker back as believers into our little private subculture. We need to step forward, not in a gaudy, ugly Jesus um, Bible-thumping kind of way, but in one that demonstrates that life change can happen and purpose can come, especially for those who are seeking purpose in the midst of their darkness. And so he transitions from this idea that we are one, two, three, four, that we may declare forth the praises of God. And he says this in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, I put the whole passage up there for you just to look at it for a moment. These are Peter's instructions to the Christians then. And there was a context for their interpretation of what he was saying. But they're words equally so for us today in the culture that we have. We live in a culture that uh, I can easily describe with three big words. And I've used these words through the course of my life because they've helped give me context for the mission field in which I live, I guess. And those three words are secularization, privatization, and pluralization. We live in a secular culture, a culture that does not uphold things of spiritual value. In other words, the transcendent, that there's more to life than what meets the eye. It's just sort of the here and now. And so get everything out of the secular culture. It's the idea that uh, there was a, um, a belief one day that a pastor would stand on a, or sit on a, pia- uh, a panel and that pastor would be able to have some good input to be able to give perspective. But in a secularized culture, it's like, no, they're, they're sort of biased. and they, they really shouldn't be sitting uh, on that panel because they have a myopic worldview. It's like, no, the reality is someone who has a spiritual dimension, a godly dimension, who is a Christ follower, really has a much better worldview than the myopic view of a secularized world. And we are becoming more and more of a secularized state and nation all the time where things of spiritual significance have less and less value. 
privatization is this whole idea that what you uh, personally believe about your spirituality is okay for you. Just keep it in the private world. In other words, don't bring it into the public square, into the marketplace, because those ideas are for your own feeling good thing. And what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Let's just all keep privatized with our personal beliefs. And so there's pressure to do that. You see that happening a lot in our culture today. And then pluralization. Pluralism is the idea that there's many competing thoughts and ideologies in our world, and it doesn't matter. Just sort of pick whatever you think is pretty maybe good for you, and that's good, and, and don't step on somebody else, and that's, that's okay for them. And so you see these forces against us, this pressure. See, they were in a culture at that time where there was opposition, strong opposition to the Christian faith. The Christian faith was not seen as we know it as a Christian faith. It was seen as a cult, as a sect, all right, as a sect of Judaism where they took this one rabbi named Jesus and they began to make him prominent. But Nero was the king of the Roman Empire, and the letter was being sent to Christ followers that were in the Roman Empire, extended in Turkey, Asia Minor area at the time. And so that's where your allegiance needed to be, and you needed to sort of keep uh, that, that religion thing privatized, but they were actually up against persecution to the point of maybe even losing their physical life. So he writes to them in that culture, but we are in a culture where there's pressures and fighting against us. It's just a different kind of fighting, all right? We don't fear walking in the doors of this building today to gather as a church community because we've been given the freedom and permission to do that. In some parts of this world, that very option is not on the table, or at least it's not on the table without fearing for your very life. And so this instruction is a prominent instruction not only to them then in that day, but to us. I want us to read this out loud. I want us to ask, God, what would you say to my life this morning through your word related to this particular passage? Here we go. You ready? Dear friends, we'll try that again. This is the wake-up call for the students that are in here today. All right? So it's sort of that teacher thing. Here we go. Ready? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Question. What would the Holy Spirit say to you this morning concerning your life in obedience to that word? See, the pastor can keep pontificating about this verse, but this verse needs to be applied through the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for you? Not mean cognitively merely, but what, it, what does it mean as far as a word of instruction to us? Because we're gathered here today to worship God and to, to fuel up through His Word, but that we're commissioned to go out into this world to do what this verse says. Let's walk through parts of it. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now, the words in the Greek here can be translated a couple different ways. Foreigners, good, in the sense of I, I don't belong there. But sojourners is uh, used in some translations. 
It means that in your life, when you walk out of here again today, you are a foreigner in this world. You're a sojourner. You are passing through. And as you're passing through, you may very well be an individual who finds themselves in a place of being an exile, excommunicated, on the outside looking in. He was writing in that day. He speaks to us in this day through the Holy Spirit. Do not be surprised if you don't fit in your world, especially as you grow in Christ. And this isn't some elitism or some show-offiness. This is a reality that as you grow as a Christ follower, things of this world will seem a bit dimmer or stranger to you all the time because there's something bigger than the minutia of you know the 70, 80, 90 years if God would so bless us. And you're like, I'm a part of something much bigger. And so this idea that you are being placed into a culture where you are a foreigner, a sojourner, or an exile is not something to dismiss, but it's something in one sense to embrace. And so Peter just tells him up front, you are beloved, you are friends, you're friends of God, and I want to exhort you that as foreigners and exiles, you need to be okay with some of that identity as you move forward. And then he says to them to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You are in a battle not just with the culture at large and the forces of secularization, pluralism, and privatization coming at you and all that's changing with that. You are also at war with your own interior life. Even when you invite Christ into your life and you become spiritually alive, you still have, as Scripture says, one foot in the old Adamic, old Adam nature, which is what? A sinful nature. And so there's a warring inside of you between your sinful passions that are outside God's divine will, not because he's a big bully, but because he knows what's best for us, and what we know is true of the spirit that we're to walk in. And so Peter says, hey, you are in a battle. It's not just with the culture around you, but with the war that's happening internally within you. How are you doing with that battle this week? You've been waging war with sinful desires. Sinful desires that uh, they come from our sinful nature that the Spirit is overcoming as we choose to live in Him. But that sinful nature that the adversary, Satan himself, uses to wage war against our soul. And so it's just that mindful recognition that when we walk out of here today, we are going to be foreigners, sojourners, exiles, that uh, need to stay clear from the sinful desires that raise themselves up because it's, it's a war that's happening internally as well as a war that's happening around us. And then he says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's take the phrase, live such good lives among the pagans. How many of you use the word pagan in your everyday talk? Well, I was out with the pagans today. That was a joy working with the pagans today. Pagan is not a word that we use. The NIV translates this word pagan. Other places translate it um, 
as a, you know your unbelieving neighbor or the idea that uh, you know the Gentiles, which were people that were non-Jewish, but it, don't take it in the harsh way that maybe that's why we don't use it. You pagan, you you're just so corrupt and vile. And no, pagan just means that they don't worship God. They don't worship Jesus Christ, and so they're off on some other kinds of path. And he says, live such good lives. In other words, let God live through your life among the pagans, all right, the people that aren't connected to the beauty of God that you're displaying, okay? You're, you're to actively live your life, not bunker it away, and you're to be able to do good amongst them, you have a mission field, a culture. Sometimes there's always this battle, and it's a very legitimate battle. Some of you have had this battle maybe in the recent months of your life where you've chosen to become a Jesus follower, but yet the culture, the environment, the social networks, your job world that you're a part of is not very conducive to encouraging you in your spiritual pursuit of Jesus. In fact, that environment that you live in many days of the week is actually one that's antagonistic and pulls you away from being the Christ follower that you want to be before God. And so this kind of challenge is very real. The goal, however, is not to pull yourself out of that. Now, sometimes you need to back yourself away from certain influences in your life or spend less time in this social setting than maybe you had before. And all that's very legitimate because you can be enticed by the world around us that pulls you in a direction. However, that being said, you also need to understand that God has placed you in the pagan culture, if I can use that, for the purpose of declaring the glory of God. How else are they going to see the light unless there's a light that's happening in that darkness. And so you and I have to discern what places we lean into and what places we pull back from. And it's a constant kind of battle. So he says, live such good lives among the pagans. There's this assumption as foreigners and exiles that you're just not going to opt out. There's a day coming when you pass from this life where Jesus returns where that will not be the situation, but you are on a mission field. And the mission field today has people who might acknowledge that there is a God or even have a belief in Jesus, but the adversary as well as the sinful nature is pushing the culture and those people around you to be in a very dark place. Maybe not blatantly dark, but blatantly dark, that sounds sort of ironic, right? But not, not noticeably deep darkness. But when you press into the thinking and the mindsets and the pursuits, it's like, this is dark. And you need to have to choose to be the light in that darkness while not allowing that darkness to come in. Because you passed from darkness into light, it said a couple verses earlier, right? With the living hope. So live such good lives among the pagans, those who are not God-walking uh, glorifying people. And then this says that though they accuse you of doing wrong. Now, this sounds a bit strange because you're saying they're accusing me of doing wrong, but yet I'm living these good deeds. 
Have you ever come into that quandary where the more you do right, the more you get blamed for being wrong? Where the more you do right, the more you get for blame for being wrong. Do you know what was happening in their culture at that time? They were accused of all kinds of crazy stuff by the pagans, if you will. They were being accused of being cannibalistic. What? Yeah. They have this ceremony where they say, this is uh, the body of Jesus, and this is his blood. Take and eat this flesh. They're cannibals. They're talking about eating the body of people. They were accused of incest. What? Yeah, because they were referring to one another as brothers and sisters to love one another. Your brother and sister. Oh, where does that come? They were accused of being atheists. Atheists? I thought they were God. No, because in that day, it was the Greek culture, and you needed to honor the Greek mythology gods, and they had nothing to do with that in that day. Plus, Nero was emperor, and that's who you would need to worship. They're not worshiping those our gods, and they're not worshiping the emperor. So they're atheists. You see, every culture has its own twistedness to it. And so the twistedness that's happening in our culture through the secularization efforts and, and the other kinds of means of, of just moving down this uh, postmodern world, uh, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that when you try to do good, you may be accused of doing all kinds of of evil or things that are wrong. They'll accuse you of doing wrong. And, and, and so this is a part of walking out of here today. I'm a, I'm a foreigner. I'm a sojourner. I'm, I'm in exile. And I, I am seeking to the best of my ability uh, to live good lives among the pagans. But you know what I'm doing is I'm getting accused of doing wrong. Well, welcome to the real world of Christ followers through the last 2,000 years. This is to be expected. It's not to say there shouldn't be sympathy or caring because it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, <laughs> it's one thing to be accused of something you've actually done wrong, but to be falsely accused, you ever been there? Being falsely accused is, is such an irritating, frustrating kind of journey. And that was what was going on in that day. And then the next it says they, that they may see your good deeds. And it's interesting, this word see. It's not a part of our culture. Well, sort of it is in a different kind of way. But you know that in some cultures, it's appropriate to stare in the windows of people in their homes to see what they're doing. To just sort of walk up and, and gawk. In fact, it's okay to, to get down, uh, to, to step up on the front porch and just observe. In fact, sometimes I'll even just come into your house and watch. You're like... That's creepy, right? Well, this whole idea, see your good deeds, has this context, not of a, a glimpse, but just a staring, an observation. Well, well, let me see. Now, today, we don't really have that. We sort of have our gates and everything and closed up, that kind of deal. But, you know, I th sometimes think social media is that way. Like, 
I'm gooping or gawking into somebody's private life as they're sharing this. And some people on social media, they'll be a little bit more vulnerable and transparent. Others are just sort of trying to put all the good stuff out there. That's normally what we do, don't we? And so that's why the pictures are like, I don't know. You know, this week when we get away for family vacation, it's going to be a great, nice break. But I'm sure something will get posted about us lounging and, oh, there's the ocean and all that's going good. But you don't know that right before we walked out to the pool, there was a major fight with us as a family. You don't put that on social media, right? But that's sort of, hey, look at into their life. You know, it's like, oh, who's going to go and who's going to stay and who's going to go do the food today or something, right? You're like, you don't get that. So today we sort of have this picture-perfect kind of world. Oh, this is who we are. And then you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to, oh, we did this or that, you know. I, it's like, you know, look at us, right? But this is not just casual glance or just the good stuff. This is, let them see your good deeds, your life, and how you live it out. And let it be up close. Let it be up close. And then the last phrase in this verse, of verse 12, and glorify God on the day he visits. Now, there's some different interpretations to this, but let's look at the big picture of it. It says, live among the pagans in such a way that they will bring glory to God. Now, usually you don't associate pagans with glorifying God. You associate being a pagan or a non-believer with hating God or being dismissive of God or being distant from God. But Peter's saying, in our culture, in the world in which you live, the spirituality that you're to embrace yourself with, that's Christ-centered, that's spirit-filled, you need to live such a powerful way. You need to be, right, a demonstrative person of representing a show-off, if you will, of the glory and the beauty of God, that they take steps back and they go, wow. Wow. That's a different life. They march to the beat of a different drummer. There's something going on there that I like. And maybe, just maybe, how you live your life can draw people to the day that God visits them in conviction to bring them to a place of personal surrender and following Jesus themselves. It's debated as to what this phrase actually means on the day that he visits us. Most likely, it's really in the context on the day that God visits in the final day with judgment and righteousness. And so, even then, May it be that they will glorify God. In Philippians, it says that every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that everybody who has ever lived, who was ever created in the womb by God himself, will come to a place of bending knee and worship God. And so that's what's being spoken here. It's what's being spoken is that there is going to come a day when God visits and even if they don't say, I'll be, you were right. You're an amazing person as God's changed your life. If they don't say that here, they'll say it then. And they will bring glory to God, even though they will not be allowed into God's eternity because they don't really want to follow God. And what kind of eternity is that? There's no heaven if people aren't all on the same page as it relates to worshiping Jesus. So he says, depart from me. This aspect on the day that God visits, to me, is a very, um, just a very sobering thing. Scripture says it's appointed to man once to die and after that the judgment. 
every person I come into contact with, every person that I love, every person that annoys me, that person, each of you in this room, your friends, your family members, there's going to come a day when God visits them and they know that he is God. And I tell you what, one of the reasons for us to shine like stars in the universe or show our good deeds amongst the pagans now is so that we will help keep them from that day of great remorse when they say, oh, I can't make that decision now to follow Christ. So I want to encourage us from this simple, straightforward passage to be show-offs. To be show-offs in a good way. Show-offs in a good way that demonstrate the beauty and the glory of God so that they may see your life and actually have some conviction to be able to walk in His direction. Because we are sojourners and we're merely walking and passing through this life. There's a story told of a missionary who'd been on the field for 25 years in Africa. His name was Samuel Morris, and he had spent 25 years, and at the time that he was a missionary, uh, you had to travel the Atlantic by ship. He uh, happened to be returning from 25 years of missionary service to New York on the same ship that Theodore Roosevelt was on after Theodore Roosevelt, the president, had spent three weeks game hunting in Africa. And as they pulled into the New York Harbor, all kinds of people were gathered there. It was almost like the whole city was gathered to be able to celebrate the return, the return of the president. And there were... uh, sounds and instrumentation and children's choirs singing. And as Theodore Roosevelt stepped off the gangplank, confetti confetti started to fly and celebration and cheers. A little bit different than probably when the president returns these days from wherever they're at, right? But man, he was popular. He had all this celebration. But Samuel Morrison, he had a challenge even getting through because... Nobody recognized him. Nobody saw him. He couldn't even get a taxi because of the crowds and had to walk a distance from that. And, and he had to admit to himself, you know, it doesn't really seem fair, if you will. I've spent 25 years of my life as a missionary see people to come and place them in Jesus Christ. And here this president spent three weeks killing animals. And he comes back to all this uh, celebration and jubilee, and I come back to silence. I didn't want part, but the Holy Spirit convicted him. And God spoke to him these simple words. He just simply said to him, My child, you are not home yet. My child, you are not home yet. I don't know what challenges you're facing these days. I don't know what opposition you're up against in the culture at large. But the counter-culture spirituality that we're called to take on is one that showcases the beauty of God. One that showcases the beauty of God and that 
though you may be a foreigner or an exile in these days, and you may be falsely accused of wrong or double-mindedness or, you know, being self-righteous even, you hang on. Your homecoming awaits you. And on that day, there will be great celebration. And you will be a part of that body, that family, that lives and rules and reigns with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Don't be discouraged. My child, you're not home yet. I want to encourage the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a worship song about that culmination. And I want to encourage you that if you have never had the opportunity to cross that line of faith and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would consider doing so. Not because a Christian becomes perfect. There's only one perfect one, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. But His life comes within, and we're able to live for Him. I want you to walk out of here today knowing that you can be a child of God. And there's someone that can pray with you in this prayer area. For those of us that are children of God, I have this question to you today as you leave. How can I live in a way that my life will have impact on people who are deeply resistant to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I live my way, life in such a way that they will see my good deeds and glorify God, even if it's not until the final day? I believe God will answer that question for you as a Christ follower this morning. And maybe if you're challenged with that and you want someone to pray with you as well, you can join up front here to the right and someone will pray with you. Or maybe just turn to your friend, your sojourner in this life, and say, could you pray for me? We're in this together. We're not home yet. But until then, until then, let's live in such a way that glorifies God and causes people to go, looky there, I want that kind of life. Ushers, will you come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings? And you can also mark on the back of your Connect card any place that you have interest, small groups or spiritual interest or making a commitment to Christ this morning. But uh, the team's going to come. We're going to sing. And may this be your refreshed identity before you head out into the highways and the byways of life. You are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to him that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let's sing as we close this morning. So again, as we prepare to sing this song, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, however you feel best that you would worship. But I love this song. It reminds me of what heaven might look like. You know, with all people coming together and how the creation um, is worshiping God as well. So we're going to go ahead and sing this song.
get a little bit of a glimpse the Lord Jesus is near and he is dear you are not a stranger in a strange land living in the kingdom of God may you go forth though in sometimes a very strange land that we live in today not with an identity as a mere 
stranger, foreigner, or exile, but with an identity as a child of the Most High God, a part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession that you may declare to a world that needs to see the beauty and the glory of God. It may be a small deed. It may be a simple verbal prayer over someone. It may be an act of kindness that uh, is sort of uncommon. I don't know. But may you go forth because you are that you may be and that you will draw others to see the glory of God on the day he visits. Whether it's a day he visits them personally this week or in light of the day that he fully visits us and makes all things right. God bless. Go in the power of his Holy Spirit. You are not alone. Amen.